0: Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there.
1: And it's not something from the outside, like the world's expectations or your parents' expectations or your culture's expectations of what you should be, how you like what you should achieve, how you should perform in order to be successful. But it's really for each of us to define that for ourselves in ways that are meaningful for us.
0: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 294. Today, we're talking about untigering with Iris Chen. Welcome to the Mindful Mama Podcast, now with over a million downloads. Here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm glad you are here. Welcome, welcome. This is a powerful episode. It's one that has been audience requested by you. And so I'm so happy in just a moment, we're going to be sitting down with Iris Chen, the author and the founder of the Untigering Movement, and her mission is to promote peaceful parenting, intersectional unschooling, and anti oppression, especially among Asian communities. And so This is going to be a really great episode. We're going to be talking about shifting away from authoritarian parenting to more peaceful parenting and in the context of an Asian American family. So we're going to really be talking about like what is consent-based parenting, all of these things. So I'm really excited to dive into this conversation and I know you are going to get so much out of it, whether you're Asian American or Asian Canadian or, or not or whatever, it doesn't matter who you are, you're gonna get a lot out of this conversation and some of the reasons uh, and the research and things why we moved to a more peaceful parenting approach. And I wanna remind you that you can see clips of the video from this episode, as well as short teaching sessions from me over at the Mindful Mama Mentor YouTube channel. If you have things you wanna share with your grandma on Facebook or your mom or your dad, this is a great way to share it because we take the episode where you're listening to the whole whatever like hour long audio or whatever and we break it up into five minute clips, nine minute clips so that it's really easily shareable with family and friends who you may be wanting to start to understand where you're coming from and maybe your partner. So go to the Mindful Mama Mentor YouTube channel you can just go to YouTube and search Mindful Mama Mentor and If you are ready to take this deeper and you want to get the support, the personal coaching, the community that you need to really realize this change in your life, check out the Mindful Parenting membership and get on our wait list so that you can be there when we open the doors again. I only do lifetime memberships. It's the only way you can work with me. I don't do any more coaching at this point. So go to Mindful Parenting. ParentingCourse.com to learn more about that if you get super inspired by this episode you may want to head over there and get on the waitlist and when you do we will send you some awesome information about the mindful parenting clear method so go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and let's do it let's without further ado let's dive into this awesome conversation with iris chen Iris, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Yes, thank you so much for
1: having me, Hunter.
0: I'm I'm looking forward to talking to you because, like I said, we talk a lot about changing generational patterns here, and this is what your book, Untigering, is kind of all about, is changing these generational patterns. And I love the way that you talk about, like in your first chapter, you talk about the saying, a tiger never changes its stripes. And then you talk about how... You know, these stripes can actually, you kind of equate them to the kind of scars left behind by wounds and trauma responses. And you say that um, instead of recognizing that deep down, they do not reflect our truest selves, we learn to define ourselves through them, taking on what are essentially coping mechanisms as part of our identity or personality, Wow. That was like, that just rings true. I, I see that so, so much. So I'm just wondering if maybe we could, with that in mind, you could kind of dive in and, and tell us about like what, tell us a little about your story. Like how, what were some of those stripes that you got in, in from your own parenting when you were a kid?
1: Sure. So um, I am Chinese American. And so I think one thing that I mentioned in the book was also just living up in, uh, growing up in America and living in a white dominant society. Just those messages that we automatically receive from the world around us, that we are different, that we are other, that we don't belong, that we have to prove ourselves and prove our worth and our belonging. So I think that was like not necessarily connected to my parenting uh,
0: Mm, specifically,
1: mm -hmm. but just these messages that I was receiving from the world around me. And so really feeling like, um, yeah, like I wasn't good enough in the world's eyes, you know, that I needed to prove myself. Those were some of the wounds that I received um, as an Asian American. And then I think also, yeah, just, In my family, we didn't talk a lot about emotions, you know, my parents were immigrant parents from China and Vietnam, and so there was this belief that, um, or this implicit messaging that we didn't talk about feelings, that, uh, you know, certain feelings were not welcome, we don't, you know, we don't cry to show our weakness, we're strong and we're tough, And so there are ways that I had to um, learn how to manage those on my own or hide them away in order to uh, meet the adult expectations around me.
0: Yeah. And those, those were those coping skills, right? Coping skills to grow up in a a culture that wasn't accepting of you and saying that you're not enough and, and coping skills to in a family culture that had its own, you know, challenges. Like we, as we understand, like our, all our families, they've got their, they've got their roses and their thorns. (laughs) They've got great things to pass down. And then they've got some, everybody's got some baggage to pass down. And, um, yeah. And those are these like coping mechanisms. There's this um, there's this incredible story that I really love of um, there that uh, there was a, a like a giant Buddha in Thailand that they discovered in the 70s. And it was like in this forest monastery and they discovered it because they were starting to like build a highway near it. And as they started to build this this highway, they like some of the construction happened and the the part of the Buddha, like something shifted in the part of the Buddha cracked and everybody was like, oh my gosh, the Buddha cracked. And as they looked at the crack in the Buddha, something was shining in the Buddha. And so they were like, look at this crack. And they start to like pick away at this crack. And they realized that underneath what they this that this plaster outside was one of the largest solid like golden buddhas in the whole world that had ever been created and it had been plastered over to protect that gold underneath from dangerous times and dangerous conditions but you know that's like these coping mechanisms that we have that you know we plaster over these parts of ourselves in order to, you know, in order to cope and get through whatever conditions that we're we're living through.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that story, yeah. so i I thought of it in the context of, like tiger stripes, because that's sort of the theme, the metaphor in my book, and just how, you know, why does a tiger have stripes? It's really a survival mechanism, because the environment they're living in is um, dangerous, you know, they, Mm -hmm. and they need to blend in, they need to, like, protect themselves and blend into their environment so that they can hunt, so that they won't get shot and all those things. So yeah, really seeing that, not to beat ourselves up for, you know our mm-hmm. just the ways that we've been um coping with our trauma or whatever, but to thank them in some ways, to know that they served a purpose, and yet to know that we can change and we can respond to our environment and our world differently.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's so beautiful. Um, you know, this you, you grew up. Um, obviously, your book is called Untigering. And I can't remember when the book Tiger Mom came out, but I remember being like super annoyed by Tiger Mom <laughs> just because it not, does not jive with where I'm going with that. But I'm just wondering, where were you in your parenting journey? Maybe, maybe you can give a brief synopsis of what Tiger Mom is just for the like one person who doesn't know. And then, uh, and uh, tell us where were you in your, t- in your parenting journey as you, that came out?
1: Yeah, so this um, term came about from Amy Chua's book, uh, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. I think that came out in 2011. And she's like a Yale law professor, very driven, you know, drove her daughters, to um, achieve and be very accomplished in whatever they they pursued. And when I read it, I and actually- she, she credited Chinese culture,
0: right? Like very much in, in that book, right? Yes,
1: yeah, so she yeah, sort yeah. of equated it with quote unquote Chinese culture mm-hmm. um, and contrasted it to like Western parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also acknowledged that it wasn't just Chinese culture. There's was a lot of um, other other parents, probably immigrant parents in in general. But um, yeah, when I first read it, I actually really resonated with it. I really thought I could connect with it. And and I saw it sort of like, it was a little bit tongue in cheek, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, where she didn't take herself too seriously. She saw the extremities of her reaction sometimes and like near the end of the book, Um, softened a little, you know, I don't know if you read the book, but uh, the way it was presented in media was just taking excerpts of it and really like making it seem that she was celebrating this way. But actually in the book, she, um, yeah, it's just a, a more balanced view of it, I guess, where she acknowledges that she needed to change too, because her daughter was actually really rebelling against that type of parenting and so she knew that something had to shift for her so
0: and and so and when you had your kids did you like for me when I had my first daughter and I remember when when I had my second daughter uh I remember being in a situation where I was like, I, I was going on my first walk with the second daughter, you know, so I had like the babe, newborn baby in the sling. And uh, we met up with some new neighbors that I've met uh, previously and that we didn't know very well. And we got to talk about parenting and they told me that they didn't use any timeouts. And I was just like, I gasped that that could possibly happen. And like, no way was I going to raise an undisciplined like kid who's like running wild. And that was like tantamount to like you know, like incredibly bad parenting in my mind at that point. And now I teach mindful parenting, which is like, we talk about getting your needs met and not, you know, like using uh, skillful communication. And I have never, I've never actually used like punishments with my kids, like, or timeouts, like, okay, so maybe in those first three years for daughter number one, but But so I'm just wondering for you, Iris, like, did you start it out like on the other side of this spectrum? So maybe can you take us back there?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I grew up with, you know, a pretty typical tiger parents as well. Very strict, um, a lot of rules, very high expectations. And so even though like I'm second generation, so I knew I would like loosen up a little, but I saw a lot of benefits to that type of parenting, you know, and um, and also like my sort of conservative religious upbringing really taught me like your role as a parent is to raise your child, to be obedient, to be morally upright, all those things. And so I definitely came at parenting with this mindset of like, I need to get it right. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm not going to let my kids run all over me. I'm going to, you know, yeah, just make sure that they turn out okay. Um, and I think that mentality was really damaging because then that really pushed me to want to control my kids. Mm -hmm. By whatever means necessary, right? So I was—I felt it was all justified because I was doing it for the greater good and doing it for, you know, to help them stay on the straight and narrow path or whatever. Um, so yeah, I—I I was really um, just caught up in in that mentality, and it wasn't until my children really started pushing back. And saying, we're not having any of this. (laughs) And and of course, I as a parent thought, well, that just means I need to come down harder. You know, like, okay, if this punishment isn't working, well, let's up the ante and make it even more painful for you. And it was just causing so much conflict and tension in my relationship, especially with my oldest child. And so um, I think a lot of it had to do with me just coming to a personal um, breakthrough, I guess, with my own healing in terms of understanding what love was Mm -hmm. and sort of deconstructing some of um, my religious beliefs for one and really understanding that love is not about control. Love is about freedom and empathy and compassion and grace and all those things. And once I started, Uh, experiencing that for myself, really seeing how the way I was treating my children, like did not jive with that definition of love.
0: I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I'm curious about a lot of things there. What cut you had a conservative religious upbringing just what is what are you conservative
1: yeah was, Buddhist a, Christian yeah, Hindu. I, was, <laughs> I was I was a conservative a conservative Christian my father was actually a pastor mm-hmm. um, and so yeah there was diff- very di- like different layers to that where you have a very conservative um, Christian culture and then also a very conservative authoritarian Chinese culture on top of that
0: so there's like double authoritarian like push going on there. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. and very patriarchal both yes. cultures, right? I mean, yes. yeah, there's a lot of a lot of that there.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: And you talk about the idea of like kind of rethinking. You know, in in your book, you talk about rethinking a lot of these different things. And so, I'm I'm wondering about um, what like I'm kind of, I'm curious about. It in your own story, as you started to realize like, oh, love is the most important thing and expressing that love in an authentic and loving way, not just, um, you know, maybe, you know, the behavior, your own behavior, matching the compassion, right. That became important. What were some of the first things that you started to kind of shift and change? And what, what were some of the first things you started to rethink as far as, um, traditional parenting?
1: Mm -hmm. One thing that I just did immediately was to stop spanking. And um, I went to a parenting seminar and the speaker was just talking about the physiological effects on our children, on their brains and their bodies when we spank or when we um, approach our kids with punishment or aggression. And that was like an aha moment for me because I had been taught to do that as a good parent. And then suddenly being presented with information showing like why that wasn't a good idea, all the negative effects, like the science behind it. And so um, that was just one thing that I immediately, like after recognizing the neurobiology of that, saying like, I cannot do that anymore, you know, that, I can see the damage that it's doing. I I can like, yeah, I noticed what it was doing to my son. I hadn't labeled it as that before. I thought it was just like, he's being disobedient. He's being rebellious and difficult. But then after that, I recognized, oh, he's having a hard time. He's like being overwhelmed by his emotions. And I approached him and I, I responded with such harshness. And I just felt so, grieved that I did that um and that I did that out of ignorance and out of like a lack of understanding and so um I think that really opened my eyes to one one chapter that I write about is this misbehavior and how I had been labeling and judging all of his uh, like unpleasant um behavior as misbehavior as being naughty as being rebellious and After that, I realized I began to like read up more and understand that all behavior is an attempt to get needs met and there's something going on underneath the surface where they're just crying out for attention or connection or a nap or whatever it is and if I can um, view all that with eyes of compassion and understanding and like a little curiosity instead of judgment, then like I can meet those needs. I can approach him with um, empathy and like just connect, and I'm able to more readily like get to the root and the source of where those behaviors are coming from. So that I think was a huge turning point for me.
0: Yeah. It, it does make uh, so much sense as we start to kind of realize that like, yeah, nobody does anything except to meet their own needs. You know, like that's how, why we do things in the world. And, um, and kids are, are no different and bad behavior is really like feeling badly, right? Like kids act badly when they're feeling badly. And, and, and those, emotional needs, you know, hangry, (laughs) tired, connection, whatever it is. Um, And you talk about the idea of parenting as a modeling, modeling, of course. And I love that you bring in John Holt's idea of the parenting as not a teacher, but a gardener. (laughs) Um, And so tell us just a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I Like gardening is really about the plant and about the specific plant in front of you. And each plant, I am realizing as I'm killing a lot of my house plants, that each plant has its own needs, right? Like you're not going to water the orchid the same way you, you know, water an aloe plant or whatever it is, right? Each plant is very sensitive. It has its own needs for water and nutrients and sunlight. And so instead of us just coming in with these like boxes and these standards of how we treat all children, you know, that we really need to be sensitive for how each one of them, like the, the nature and the essence of each one so that we, we can respond. And I think the John Holt um quote was just about like letting our children naturally grow. Like we cannot make a plant grow. There is the seed of life within each of them. And what we need to do as the parent is to provide the right environment for them to grow and to flourish. So yeah, really coming, like not coming at it from this hierarchical top-down, like I'm going to uh, make you do something, but to trust that there is that spark within all our children that essence and to nurture it in a way that makes sense for that child.
0: Yeah, absolutely. My daughter and I were at Arjuna Community Garden and we were there uh, the other, this over the weekend and we found out that carrots need loamy like soil with sand in it. So we had to like go get two 40 pound bags of sand and mix it in for our carrot soil so our carrots could grow down straight and not be like funny cricket carrots. Although I imagine cricket carrots are actually probably much more natural, but anyway, we want, you know, we're going the middle path. (laughs) Exactly. Like the different, the different needs um, are, you know, I think that's such an important thing for us to keep in mind. And so I'm, I guess I'm curious about like, so you started to, you started to say, oh my gosh, like, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be spanking my child. I don't want to be, i um, like trying to control everything. Um, I need to like, see these things as what's happening as, you know, my children's needs aren't getting met and things like that now. And I'm, I'm wondering about like, as for a lot of people, at least a lot of members of my parenting, there's like a messy middle where your kids are kind of confused because they're used to resisting you. They're used to like, resisting orders and threats. And they're just used to like kind of resisting everything you do. And then as you start to shift your communication, that resistance is kind of like a train going 90 miles an hour in one direction. And not only does that train have to, it has to take time. It has got momentum behind it. It's got to slow down. That takes a while. It's got to stop. It's got to turn around. Like there's, there's like, there's this place where this is like a messy middle there. I'm wondering how did you navigate that as far as like, you know, holding boundaries and things like that in that messy middle part? I'm assuming there was a messy middle.
1: (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I think, you know, just as our kids are learning and adjusting, we are too. Like for most of us, we're not doing like a complete 180. Um, So we are in process too. So for me, you know, the first thing was to, Um, get rid of spanking. But it took me a while to learn other tools and other ways to like um, respond and hold boundaries and connect with my kids. So I think the next thing for me was really to build connection. Um, And I think, you know, like my kids, because there had been so much tension and trauma and conflict for so many years, I think once I expressed a desire for connection, like just holding them or doing something that they like for fun without any agenda of my own. Like they were very responsive actually, my um, oldest son in general, of course it took time, you know, because we, I had broken trust for so long, it mm-hmm. took time for them to learn to trust me. And so I, I had to be okay with that. I had to be okay when they still pushed back or still, you know, um, wanted to like um, just go their own way and, and not respond to my bids for connection with them um, because I knew that that was on me, that I couldn't expect them to respond immediately. And so I needed to be patient, you know, and, I needed to know like I couldn't go back to those old ways because if if I continued to like default to those old ways then we would never make progress, right? So I needed to sort of make a pact with myself and my partner like, okay, we're not gonna do that um, and just be patient with the process and really take time for connection because I think that's really the foundation of how we begin to like rebuild that trust with our children.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the reason they cooperate with you is because of that connection. You mentioned your partner. Where is he in all this? Like, was he like, Iris, what are you doing? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Or was he on board with all the changes? No one told us the truth
2: about parenthood. Why?
3: you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
1: His personality is much less controlling than mine. So <laughs> I'm, you know, like that tiger parent that wants everything in its spot. And um, so, but I was the one who approached him first and told him, you know, I'm not going to... Um, spank anymore. I didn't expect him to make that same commitment. um, But that was a commitment that I made. And then as we talked about it, he was really on board with it as well. And so I'm so grateful because we were really on this path of like, deconstructing our old ways together. And of course, it was like different things at different times. Um, And we try to like, hold ourselves accountable, you know, like, if Uh, he observes me doing something that, um, you know, isn't respectful, that he would feel the freedom to approach me later and talk about it. And I feel the same way with him. And so there was really like this, this dialogue about it. And so I I am very grateful that we were able to sort of like journey on this together, because it's really hard if you don't. And I get a lot of questions about that a lot of times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But what I'm hearing from your story anyway, is that you didn't have expectations. You didn't expect him to just change his mind immediately because you had, which is logical (laughs) and emotionally intuitive. And you also, it was a dialogue. And I think that those are some takeaways that for those listeners who are saying my partner is not yet on board, I have learned a lot more than my partner has. What Iris is saying about no expectations, like don't expect somebody to just change their mind just because you do and to have a dialogue. And that dialogue just as, you know, with your kids, it needs to be connected, you know, it needs to have understanding of what's where both sides are coming from.
1: Yeah. I think one thing that you know, just as you shared that in, in my process is like, because I I had been a tiger parent. And so just as I was learning and as I was processing, having that conversation with him. So it wasn't that I had done all this learning and I was over here and trying to pull him along. Mm. But it was that as I was learning and as I was like wrestling with these ideas to talk with him about it so that we could like more closely walk through that together. So I wasn't like an evangelist in a way. I wasn't trying to convince Mm -hmm. him of something. I was working through it in that process. And so, you know, maybe as we are learning and reading up on articles um, to approach it from a place of a learner and to approach it with our partners or the grandparents or other people from that position also so not as you know somebody an expert who you know has all the answers or believes this is the only right way but as a learner
0: Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I I think that I can relate to everything you're saying, Iris, where I'm like the, you know, it's so funny because everyone says, oh, you teach mindfulness, blah, blah, blah. And I I need those tools so much because I'm definitely the, the more like reactive one, the more energetic one, the more like controlling one. And my husband is like kind of chill naturally which I'm always been a little jealous of but he, he's got his things too but anyway um so yeah and it was like a dialogue as we went along too so so make it a dialogue dear listener um and so you talked about also like redefining success and I'm wondering if you could talk about what what the definition of success in parenting was for you kind of before and then what do you what do you see it as now
1: Mhm. So I thought, you know, to be a successful parent and to raise successful kids meant that they did what I told them to do and obeyed me and that, you know, there's like no conflict, everybody just stays in their lane. <laughs> and um and and I think especially with a lot of parenting so much of it has to do with school because, especially if your kids are school age, um, that's their life really. And uh, in the Chinese American um, community, especially at least the one I grew up, you know, academics and schooling is a big part of life and is a big part of parenting. And so I know that there's an emphasis on that in the Asian American community. And um, I, like a few years ago, I began unschooling and that was sort of part of my journey um, with peaceful parenting to just learning to see each child as in an individual human being with their own desires and their autonomy and needing to respect that and um, discovering unschooling which is just life learning, consent-based, self-directed life learning for our children. And so I think now I see success. I use the quote from Maya Angelou where she says success is um, liking who you are, liking what you do and liking how you do it. And so I really love that. I really resonated with that because every Child, every person gets to define for themselves what that looks like. And it's not something from the outside, like the world's expectations or your parents' expectations or your culture's expectations of what you should be, how you, like what you should achieve, how you should perform in order to be successful. But it's really for each of us to define that for ourselves in ways that are meaningful for us.
0: Mm, That's beautiful. I I mean, so I'm, Yes, like this is you know the sort of old school ideas of success of like you know the perfect grades and and all of that it's it's damaging, right I mean it's it's hurting lots of people. I mean I imagine the results of you know the the tiger parenting I mean we we see some of the results like we see Amy Cho, but there may be a lot of like, roadside damage from that along the way as well from that other form of success or definition of it.
1: Yeah. And actually I believe that even those who can sort of hit the marks and achieve in that system ultimately really suffer too. You know, it's not only those kids who don't do well in school, but even those who do that um, suffer and internalize a lot of damaging messages. Like for me and my husband, we both did well in school. We both achieved well And yet there were a lot of things where we thought that our worth was based on our achievements and our, you know, whether that's grades or the school that we went to or our salaries and all those things and and fear of failure, you know, being afraid to take risks and to to try new things because we felt like there was no room to fail. We always had to get the A, you know? So there's a lot of um, ways that even those who do achieve in that system are, you know, have lost themselves. And and a lot of um, people who have gone through that tiger parenting way and like maybe are now doctors or in business or engineers, like maybe they find out that this is not what i want to do they get to a place in their life where they realize they've been following everybody else's goals for themselves everybody else's desires and expectations and they've lost a connection to themselves and what they really want for themselves so yeah it's not just those that are uh, you know the the roadkill on the side of the street right but is those that make it to the end too and decide that that's not good for them.
0: I'm curious. Now, what do your parents think?
1: <laughs> what are, you've written a book,
0: Untigering. You've deconstructed a lot of things from our culture and from their culture. What, have they gone along on this journey with you as a dialogue or have there been bumpy moments?
1: Um, I think I started writing the book when I was in China and my parents are here in the States. So it was sort of like this project that they didn't really know about um and you know i think my parents have gone through their own untigering process as many you know people have and as they get into like the grandparent stage and all that like i'm eight years older than my brother so even the way my brother was raised was different than the way my sister and i were raised because we had just moved like my parents had just moved here from the States were new immigrants. And so like for my brother, he got different parents than I got essentially in some ways. And so I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing that they were in process and continuing to learn and do things differently. Um, And I think, yeah, my parents, are learning to um, just respect my story and give me space to say it. So, like, they don't really read things in English, and I don't think they follow my accounts or listen to my podcasts. So, I don't, re- I don't know how much they know of what I'm sharing. Or, mm. um, but I, they were very supportive in me publishing this book, and so I'm, I'm grateful that they gave me space to share my story and even though it was probably uncomfortable for them to um, you know be to have some things exposed or whatever I'm really grateful that they gave me space to do that and are supportive. Mm. Wow do you know if it's going to be printed in Chinese? I am. I do want to get it translated. It's actually a huge cost. I had no idea. I'm looking into it. But uh-huh. translation is very expensive. And so I'm, I'm looking to do that at some point.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Um, Raising Good Humans was, I guess, translated into Chinese. Oh,
1: cool. And
0: I, I, I don't know, I've heard, I heard there was like, there was like the request and the thing that came through the publisher, but I, I don't, I don't have a copy of it like in Chinese in my hands, but I'm, I'm really curious about that. Now, another thing I'm curious about just, um, I, all this, you know, you grew up in, in an authoritarian culture, uh, a patriarchal culture, you know, um, conservative Christian culture. All of these cultures have another thing in common, which is this view of the mother as the like self-sacrificing mother. Like the highest form of good is that you sacrifice yourself for the good of your children. And it just, which drives me bananas. Like I hate that whole thing. It's so, it so stems from a patriarchal culture when women's only value was as as childbearers child raisers and servants for men um and and it's not helpful for kids it's not helpful for moms so i'm wondering about this piece you know like what i mean it could be it could be that like that feeling of like i have to sacrifice for my kids can transfer into this type of, more connected parenting, you know what I mean? Where your needs aren't necessarily getting met, but now you're saying, oh, I have to look at what my kids' needs are. So I'm curious about what was your
1: um, what was your process with that piece? Mm, that's a good question. I definitely bought into that. And um, because of sort of like my tiger parenting tendencies, it's just like, I want to know what the right answer is and whatever that is, I'm going to do it a hundred percent. And so believing that it was my responsibility to be a good wife and a mom, like I left my career, I became a full-time stay-at-home mom. I did all those things. And I think, um, I think there can be beauty in that if it's something that we mindfully choose, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's an option, but when it's like the only thing that is offered to us, or, um, yeah, then it becomes very oppressive. And so I, as I got older, and I was sort of feeling, you know, maybe a midlife crisis or whatever, feeling lost, I realized that I needed to get back like get connected with myself again and not that identity as a mom or a wife or whatever, but who was I? And I think like starting to write, starting to blog was part of me sort of reclaiming my own passions and to like express myself as a full human being. Whereas before it was just like, okay, I have these roles. Um, I'm, I'm giving, 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 giving. And part of untigering is definitely like, we all get to be full human beings, like my children do and I do as well. So there's definitely this idea of boundaries where um, because I, I so respect my children, I also, need to learn to respect myself. So it's not this like doormat or, you know, we let our kids get away with everything. It's like, no, I have needs too. You know, like when I'm behaving in certain ways, it's because I need certain, I have certain needs met too. And so being sensitive, like a lot of my untiring process is really about my relationship with myself um, and doing that work with myself so that I can offer that to my kids, whether it's you know, accepting my emotions, which I didn't know how to do in the past, you know, but taking the time to attune to myself, to make room for all my feelings um, and like boundaries. Like I have a right to my own body and to my own choices, just as my kids do, right? So really coming to a place where I, I, felt more um, that sense of personal power for myself and then being able to offer that to my children, but in um, just in connected ways and not in like martyrdom ways, right? Where I could still communicate my needs and my boundaries and my limits so that we're like a family unit and of, of, people who have autonomy and consent, but choose to be connected and stay together out of love. So, yeah, it's been a a huge journey for me to just become my own person (laughs) and to like shift from those gender roles that were expected of me.
0: Mm. Yay. Yay. (laughs) So, Just, I I love all this. And I I think your book is wonderful. Do you you have any final words of advice for somebody who's maybe listening, maybe even a a parent who, you know, an Asian American mom who is starting to wrestle with these ideas and starting to question and starting to rethink things?
1: Yes. I mean, I, I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to write this book because I really wrote it from the perspective of an Asian American. And I talk about different aspects of our culture that um, can be gifts and can be obstacles as well. And so to the Asian American moms and just Asian moms out there, also to, to know that you can change your stripes and that um, we can be part of healing the next generation and shifting our culture, because just realizing that a lot of what we call our culture is really just generational trauma, and how when we recognize that, we don't have to automatically um, stick with traditions, you know, but we can recognize it for what it is and begin healing and create new traditions and new cultural norms for our families.
0: Yay. I love that. Yeah. Sorry, not to, not to leave out the the mamas and all around the world and listen to the podcast. Shout out to you guys and just talk to someone in Dubai and, you know, there's all these different places. So shout out to all those. Listen to these wise words of irises. They're really, really beautiful. I love that. We're part of, part of the change. So cool. So, um, definitely dear listener, you should get her book, Untigering Peaceful Parenting for the Deconstructing Tiger Parent. And where else can people find you, Iris?
1: Yes. So I have uh, accounts on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me at Untigering. Um, you can find me at on my blog, untigering.com. And I also have um, a Facebook group, Untigering Parents. So I welcome you all to join
0: Thank you so much. thanks for coming on. Thank you for being so open about your story, for you know for sharing this work. That's incredibly valuable. Transforming these generational patterns in every community is so, so important. and I, and, and our, you know, your voice is really a powerful one in that. So I, I really thank you for, for doing that.
1: Thank you so much.
0: love how iris puts these things i mean yes 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 makes so much sense and i love hearing that story of transformation it's so powerful it's amazing i love hearing these stories you know i get to hear these a lot because in the mindful parenting membership these transformations happen sometimes people ask about their partners and what i see with the partners is that oftentimes a wife may join mindful parenting and it doesn't matter of course what gender the parenting partners are but The husband or the spouse may not be on board totally yet, but as the members get like that support, as they get that personal coaching, as they get that community support as they get those tools and skills that they need and they really make this transformation, their partners start to say, huh, what's going on with you? How do I do that? And it really changes the whole family dynamic. It's so, so powerful. So cool. So if you are interested and want to learn more about it, want to get on the wait list, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com. And we'll send you some information about the mindful parenting method. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. Otherwise, man, I'm wishing you a great week. I hope you got a lot out of this like I did. I would love to see where you're listening to it. You know, I love seeing when you tag me in your Instagram stories. Those are so fun. I want to see what are your takeaways? Is this something that that spoke to you? What are your takeaways? I would love to know. And if you are a longtime listener, please make sure you leave a review on Apple podcasts. That's such a powerful way to share the whole podcast. You know, there's a lot of podcasts out there now but we're going strong and it's because of you. So I want to just thank you for the reviews you've left and the support and the way you've shared the podcast. It makes such a big difference and, and you're part of a movement transforming generational patterns. And I love that. So my heart goes out to you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I wish you a peaceful, beautiful week. We have our Friday podcast now too. So I will be here on Friday answering the question is parenting instinctual so we're going to be talking about that on Friday in a short little mini mindful parenting bite look for that in your podcast player and I wish you a great week my friend talk to you soon namaste
1: I'd say definitely do it it's really helpful it will change your relationship with your kids for the better it will help you communicate better